Welcome to The Lounge, a show where I talk to the absolute best and brightest of the gaming industry. Today my guest is Phil Vecchione of the Misdirected Mark Network, the one I'm on, and Encoded Designs. We talk about his new game, Whirlwind Millionaire. It's out now, so you can check it out on Drive Through Cards. I'm Jesse Edmond. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the lounge. I'm really excited about this, too, because I feel like you and I haven't had a conversation. Like no, I've, no, we haven't. I've hung out with Chris and Bob. and Yeah, usually you're there like when I can't show up to something. So, <laughs> so um, also, and I did play your game, so that was... Uh, Oh, that's awesome. How'd you like it? Um, it was it was more depressing than I thought it would be. <laughs> I know. It's um it's kind of the way it turns out. Like suddenly it's like, wow, winning all this money wasn't great. Like so great. Hang on one second. Hey bud, come here. Come here, say goodnight. Yeah. All right. Have a good night. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good. You couldn't hear me. No. <laughs> I got, I got you in my ear so the mic doesn't hear you. Is that a Marvel superheroes phase rip chart that I see behind you? No. Oh my God. That looks just like it. No, it's like this, it's this, um, it's this, it's this gift bag, but I'm looking at it in the camera. It totally looks it totally like a does. face rip chart. <laughs> no, all my Marvel, um, all my face rip stuff is, uh, in a container downstairs in the basement. Ah. This is the, um, because my my wife is out at the movies and now my kids are upstairs in bed rather than going downstairs and um, breaking out my other mic and, and pulling my laptop and taking it to the basement. I get to record at my actual desk, which is uh, which which I love um, yeah. because now I don't have to take apart my desktop and stuff. I it's not bad. I have like I have my laptop in a um, stand, so it's just standing upright mm -hmm. and I just have everything plugged into it. But I have um, like my two 24 inch monitors, nice. my giant ass desk. So that's my wife's craft disaster behind me. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it doesn't look any different than like behind any gamer in the world. So, yeah. Um, it's funny because uh, I, I, I also appreciate that you know exactly what a phase rip chart would look like. Oh, yeah. I played. I played, uh, what's called? I had the I had the yellow box basic and the advanced oh, uh, yeah. version of the game. Oh in yeah. In fact, in fact, my D and D club, because um, there was an, when I was in middle school, there was an actual D and D club. Um, we played like a ten person uh, Secret Wars Whoa. when the when the Secret Wars book came out. Like we put a whole bunch of desks together and we put the like the maps out and we had like a big like five on fight five on five hero villain battle oh that's amazing that's so fantastic that was uh that was the first game that i i got super into um it wasn't my first game per se uh obviously like everybody else in the world dungeons and dragons was my first game but i didn't really like it so i went in and out of DD &D really quick like i i got into DD &D because kids in my neighborhood were playing mm -hmm. and then i um immediately got um, I got Top Secret, mm. then I got then I got Boot Hill, mm -hmm. and then I got 
um, and I think probably almost at the same time, Gangbusters and Star Frontiers. Okay. And then, and then Marvel came out, and it was Marvel that actually got me into reading Dragon. Oh yes. Because, yeah, because of the Marvel phylum. Like yes. that was. Yeah, so that was like for me, like as soon as I got into Marvel, I had to get a subscription to Dragon because <laughs> I needed like more characters, like every, you know, like what, you know, each month, what character or characters were I, was I going to get? The the two issue spread of the um, the victims of Scourge. Uh-huh. The up, like so many characters are like, oh, look at all this. Look Justice. what I can throw into my game. <laughs> Oh man. Um, oh God. It's really funny. Cause when you say things like that, like those are the times, like we have to like catch Chris up on, on stuff like Bob and I will make mention of like some of the older. Yeah. Cause I was, I mean, that was when I did all my prime collecting, like I collected comic books all through, like all through the eighties. And I, um, that was the gift my grandparents got me every year for Christmas was they would renew my Marvel subscription. And it was back when you had to cut the thing out of the back of the, um, <laughs> you know, out of the comic and check, and you know, you would check off the ones you wanted. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. What did you get? Uh, let's see. I collected Thor mm-hmm. through most of um, Walt's run, which was amazing. Um, I collected uh, Hulk for a while, and then like when the Puffball Collective thing started, I kind of lost my. Uh, <laughs> I kind of fell out of that. Uh, I was a diehard um, X-Men fan. I, I'm Claremont X-Men like through and through. That's like my, um, th- that was my start. My first uh, Marvel comic was, um, I, it, not my first, the first time I started being serious about comics was X-Men 175. Okay. Um, which was like the anniversary special when um, Cyclops marries uh, Madeline Pryor. Yes. 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 I, I remember that issue. Yeah. And then I went back, like I, then I started collecting forward and backwards, like at the same time, but yeah, I did, I did those. um, So I did X-Men, I did um, X-Factor when X-Factor came out, Mm -hmm. um, Hulk, Thor, um, Amazing Spider-Man, Web of Mm Spider-Man. And then I, and then, and then like every year I would float around like a different, like I, I did like a little bit of Avengers. Oh, I did Captain America for a while because I was, um, I was totally into when um, Super Patriot. Yes. I was just talking about that the other day. Yeah. Somebody was like, oh, I hated that story. Like, that was the Mark Grunewald years, man. Those were great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Scourge. Scourge was part. Oh, and FF. Fantastic Four, of course. Like, I I totally. um, John Byrne. Yeah. Oh, and and West Coast Avengers. I was a big West Coast Avengers fan. Well, I mean, the West Coast Avengers, for 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 any faults that there were, what they brought as the Great Lakes Avengers. Yeah. For those of us who live on the Great Lakes, that's just uh-huh. that was just a great moment. I, I went back when I um when I got my Marvel um digital subscription, I went back and read like some of the first um, West Coast Avengers, and I'm like, wow, Tigra is a really problematic character. Like, it's. <laughs> <laughs> it's not sure how I feel about not sure how I feel about this character now. There's some disconcerting things that you run into going back and reading some of those old stories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially Tigra. I was just like, like oh. you wear a bikini and you're like, eh, you know. Yeah. Look, it's like we're not even trying here. Like, we're just. 
I mean, I like the rest of them. I mean, because I loved um, I got into West Coast Adventures because I read the um the Hawkeye miniseries, the one where he mm -hmm. meets Mockingbird. Mm -hmm. and, and then when they decided like to go to the West Coast, I was like, okay, now I'm like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna read this. And then you know, then it was Wonder Man, and I was like, oh, I totally dig Wonder Man. So yeah, and it was good. And then you know, they had um, what was it, Rhodey, Rhodey Iron Man. So Red Armor, Rhodey Iron Man. I was I was rereading some of those too not too long ago, and though that I I, I collected the it was like the Circuits Maximus era it was it's known as, mm -hmm. um and um, those stories are really interesting because every time every every one of them is like Rody going, I don't know how, what I'm doing I'm not very good at this, and right you know and Tony's like you're better than you think you are and everyone is like. I had the power in me all along. <laughs> There's that moment in Secret Wars when they're trapped under the mountain mm. and um, Reed Richards is like, you know, rewiring, you know, his suit to blast them out. And, you know, he's going on and on and he's like, you know, right, Tony, right? And Rhodey's like, um, yeah, yep, <laughs> that that's right. Like, exactly how it's built. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he did a lot of that. That was a... It was kind of an interesting boy there boy there's something that makes me uncomfortable about that idea now too just thinking about that uh, i i mean i think i think if they did it now i mean i think in some way they did do it now with um uh but i i forget because i had just started reading it when i stopped um my subscription the uh young the young lady who's now um also you know has an iron man suit oh uh uh riri riri williams Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they did a better job with like hologram Tony as yeah, you know, mentor and yeah, definitely. Although I do, I do like how, um, I do like how Marvel, like re, like they reincorporated MCU, like certain MCU characters mm -hmm. back into the regular Marvel universe because I like I hadn't collected in a while and when I got the digital subscription, I went and started reading Iron Man. I'm like, wow, like. This is like, like this is MCU Tony Stark. Yeah. Like this is, and I was like, I'm okay with that because I love MCU Tony Stark. But yeah. it was like, no, they totally folded him back in from, from the movies. Well, and and Tony was problematic for a while because there was the Civil War, and then, um, the like it was just like everything in the comics was like, boy, I just don't like Tony Stark anymore. <laughs> You know, and then all of a sudden it was like, eh, here he is again. I mean, he's just, yeah. yeah. I mean, I like in, I like in the MCU how they, um, I like in the MCU that they didn't, they decided not to make him the raging drunk he was in the eighties. And instead they basically just gave him PTSD from, from the Avengers movie. And I was like, yeah, that's really good. Like, yeah, that's a really good way to make him like troubled without like falling on some of the old cliches and. Well, it's it's a more modern way of telling that story. Um, it's it's funny because that's something. So so uh, you know, kind of feeding off that a little bit um, because you know I'm I'm an interviewer. Um, it's it's something that when I when I hear you on Misdirected Mark talk about gaming and everything, like you've taken a lot of the stuff that that has come up with gaming that people take for granted. So, you know, the idea of 
Tony Stark is an alcoholic. Okay, that's a story you're obviously going to do because that's the most obvious story in the world to do. But you like to kind of turn that on its ear a little bit, you know, and say, here are the things you know about gaming, but, you know, here's another way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Whirlwind Millionaire, the, the reason that connects to me is because Whirlwind Millionaire is a solo game. And the only solo games I'd ever played before Whirlwind Millionaire were superhero solo games for like the oh, superheroes. Nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, the um, the uh, the so the original. There's two things that are like the there's two points that make up the original inspiration for the game. Um, the first one was that I had just like a month or two before I started uh, designing Whirlwind Millionaire. I had played. Um, the beast okay which is um which is a solo it, it, it's a solo rpg um it, it doesn't really have any mechanics it's just it's a deck of cards mm-hmm. um the premise is a little dark and disturbing right so the, the premise of the game is like you have a beast that you keep hidden away from everyone and when no one's looking you have sex with it and um and and it's made to be like really like it's made to push your own internal boundaries like it's a solo game so you're not playing it in front of anyone and no one can judge you like you just answer the questions you journal about it Mm -hmm. and and you play it out but it is fairly disturbing um it's fairly disturbing and it's not a game that i would recommend um universally Mm-hmm. But I think if somebody is like, if somebody's comfortable with their sexuality, if somebody's comfortable kind of exploring kind of the dark corners of that, um, then it's like, a, it's a really interesting, uh, it's a really interesting play because basically what you do is you play for 21 days straight and there's a deck of cards. There's like, I think like 40 or 50 cards in it, but you shuffle it up and for 21 days uh, you play by taking one card, you flip it over and it has like a writing prompt on it okay and then like you just journal like you either journal or think about or whatever like i did it through journaling like i wrote down my answers but you do that once a day for 21 days and then there's like a final card that's in the deck that you you slide in for day 21 and then you answer that um that question and then that's it the Mm -hmm. game's over so so i had played that and i really liked that idea of like random events by cards and um but again not a game i'd recommend everyone (laughs) and then um and then uh blake ryan blake ryan batman Mm -hmm. as he's known on uh on twitter and on the internet um emails me from time to time like we, we chat and he just like he made a passing reference about um uh if winning the lottery and powered by the apocalypse moves or something Mm -hmm. and uh I was like, oh yeah, that's really interesting. Like I and so Blake lives in Australia. So I saw the email like while I was eating breakfast at like in my house. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like having my morning cup of coffee and I'm eating breakfast and I'm like reading this email from Blake. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's really interesting. And um I start to drive to work. And like I, my brain is like unpacking everything is like I'm going to work and I'm like, no brain, like we're in the middle of another project. Like we don't have time to build and like write another game. And, you know, but every designer will tell you that's exactly um, how it happens. So I like went to work that day and like in the in-between parts of my day, like started hammering out like all this stuff about it. Like, oh no, I think it's, you know, 
I think there is like a powered by the apocalypse move. And then like, I got into that idea, like, oh, maybe it's like, uh, maybe it's like the beast. It could be a solo game with cards. And um, by the time that day was over, I had um, the first rough draft and I emailed Blake and I was like, cause again, Blake's on the other side of the world. So um, by the time I start talking to him, he's going to bed. <laughs> And as my day's wrapping up, like Blake is like, you know, starting his day up. So I like emailed him back and I'm like, ah, oh, dude, like I wrote a lot of like stuff already for this. And he's like, yeah, do what you want with it. Like, you know, he's like, yeah, it's good. You know, just, um, you know, run with it and see what happens. So I, um, he's, that's why he's credited as the original idea yes. uh, when you look at the rules. Um, yeah, that's how I got, like, that's how I got started. It got started from, um, Something from Blake and, and something from Blake and something from uh, from uh, the Beast. What did the design process, you know, so so from that moment of deciding to did it did it start out as a rule system for for more than one person or was it always solo? Yeah, no, it it I it was always going to be a solo game. Okay. Like I was really I was really interested in. Um, in that space because like you said there aren't a ton of solo games like yeah. i knew about the beast and jason morningstar wrote one and the name escapes me but it's basically like fast and the furious okay um and it's and it's very similar in that it's uh, a lot of writing prompts mm -hmm. and i was cool with writing prompts but i also like the idea that no like i would like you know like i'd like to be there some be some dice rolling mm -hmm. and um yeah, it was never an idea like about a group of people winning money. Although I think there's an interesting game. Um, I think it's an interesting game in what happens to a group of people who win oh, yeah. uh, money, you know, and what changes them. But yeah, it was uh, it was always gonna it was always set out to do a solo. Okay, and so what did the design like? What was the timeline from you know having that conversation with with Blake that that triggered that uh, that whole process? And to now you have a game, like how long was that? So I think we started writing it like in, I think it was like October, November. Okay. Uh, and so we released it, we released it in March and there were some times where I wasn't working on it. Uh, the actual, um, the actual writing of the game took about, the initial writing of the game took about a week. Mm-hmm. To, to write the initial rules, to make up some cards and to, um, and it wasn't even makeup cards because when I first wrote it, uh, they were just uh, tables. Okay. Because I, I needed something that was play testable fairly quickly. So I had tables and you just rolled dice to see what, um, what, what event you would pick. Mm -hmm. And I sent that out. Uh, let's see, I played it first myself. And then I had to make like one tweak to the mechanics. So the original mechanics were very much PBTA. They were going to be a six minus seven to nine and 10 plus. But I didn't like just having three states. I wanted a fourth one. So I went into um, any dice and looked at um, the probability curves for um, a 3d6 roll instead of a 2d6 roll and like to the spread a little better and was able to find four basically four equal bins uh, I shouldn't say equal probability wise symmetric bins okay. so in the in the game there's um, a really bad a kind of bad a kind of good and a really good and that's what I wanted was the 
two tail ends of that curve to be the really bad, the really good, and the middle ones to be that um, the one one bad, one good. And that's what I couldn't get with two d six because two d six seven to nine is the middle of the curve, mm -hmm. where um, in three d six that curve spreads a little, and you can get two slices, one on either side. Okay. Real nerdy, um, real nerdy math stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, but but it, but I think that that's so. So I feel like that's something that that you could probably talk about a lot, though, because you know that's that's where uh, when I hear you talk about game design, like you get so passionate about like yeah, let's figure out the prob probability and stuff. And you know, I've tried to do game design. I mean, I. I Yes, I released a game, um, but I never think of myself as a game designer because I just don't. Well, that, that's wrong. You released a game. You are a game designer. I'm a game designer, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but at the same time, like, um, I just – I think of story. I think of concept. I think of, like, what this is. And then, like, I listen to you talk about, like, probability and stuff, and I'm like, oh, there's a whole other thing <laughs> that that's part of this. Well, and I have a really heavy – I have a really heavy science uh, background. So my my college degree was in biology. My graduate work, which I never finished, was in biochemical pharmacology. And then I you know, spent the next 15, 20 years in IT and I did programming and things like that. So so for me, like I um, I do think about like so, I, I you know, I took a ton of math. I think about math. Um, I think about programmatic things like procedures and stuff like stepwise procedures and things like that. Um, in addition to story and everything, because story is still equally important, but I, you know, I do like, um, I do subscribe to the school of um, rules and form play. So um, I very much want my mechanics to kind of meet uh, where I want it. Like, you know, I want my mechanics to take me to the place that I want to go in, like in story. And the thing was in story, the story part of the game, what I wanted was I wanted um, that ability to have like the, uh, 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 I wanted a not so disastrous outcome and a not so fantastic outcome as well as those two, the two highs, mm -hmm. because originally in the game, it swung too much. Okay. Like, like you wound up getting like a lot of 10 pluses and like you'd end the game with like a ton of money. <laughs> and it was like, uh, huh, like, I don't know if that really, um, if really that emulates what I want. And, um, and likewise, you know, if you rolled a couple of six minuses in the original version, like you bankrupted before the, you know, the end of the third act. And so that's when I got into like, well, story-wise, one, I need this game to go farther mm. and I need it not to be so um, swingy in terms of how much money you're going to, you're going to um, gain and lose. It should still have it. Like, you know, there are windfalls and there are disasters, but um, in most of the time you land in that middle and you're just kind of racking up those tags that, you know, you're jaded, you're disheartened, you're, you know, like, um, and those actually, you know, then start to skew the game because those start to push, you know, if you get too many of the negative ones, they start to skew you down. And yeah, so, um, so yeah, it's, I, I mean, I think that's part of my background is like that, um, the nerdy math part and, and any dice, to be honest, makes it so um, accessible mm -hmm. that, um, 
it's really like I, I can't imagine like doing that stuff manually. Like I, I, I've written programs like that in the past, but it's so easy to go into any dice and just be like, uh, show me the probability curve for 3D6, you know, for 3D6 outcomes, bam. And then, you know, you're just sitting there drawing lines through it. Like, I don't know, it looks like a pretty good distribution. <laughs> well, and that's, you know, it, it's it's part of this this philosophy of of game design from the past, I don't know, 20 years now where you can take something that already exists and instead of, you know, saying, Oh, I'm going to create a whole new thing. Like I'm going to take something that exists and build off of that. Um, and I think that that's like, well, I know with, with another game that you're developing, uh, uh, you, you mentioned powered by the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. uh, I just flaked on the name. Hydro hacker. Oh. Yep. <laughs> um, I, yeah, because I'm fascinated by that because I love cyberpunk and everything. I know that's going to be part of this conversation. But like, you know, you utilized uh, Powered by Apocalypse. That was originally Fate, though, right? When you first thought about that, the game was already. Yeah, I wrote the I wrote the game originally in Fate, and um, and it worked like it worked pretty well in Fate. It was um, it got super cumbersome. Like I looked at the table one day and I was like, wow, like there is so much stuff going on. Like, I mean, the table was like littered with the hydro hacker stuff that I was writing and then all of the aspects and the fate points and the, and I was like, wow, this is too much stuff going on. Like I'm comfortable running this. I've run a lot of fate. So I'm like really comfortable kind of managing this kind of load on the table, but like, adding on like a whole nother layer of stuff seemed like it was going to be too much to um, too much to push onto other GMs. And that's where I was like, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll switch it over to powered by the apocalypse because I then clear all of the fate components off. And I, you know, then it's just like, it's a little more focused. It, was it, was it immediately like, Oh, I guess, I guess we're, we're going to do this powered by apocalypse or was there other iterations of it? Uh, no. So, so what happened was I took it as I took it as a fate game with me to Gen Con 2015 and and ran it twice uh, in play tests, like you know, like play by play test, like people signed up for my session. And I I ran it, um, and it was good. I was like, yeah, this is like this is pretty decent, other than um, what it took to manage the table. And then I had just, I mean, I was in love with Powered by the Apocalypse games for a while. Like Chris was running uh, Dungeon World for us. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you've played in a Chris Dungeon World game. So, like, it's intoxicating. You're just like, I love this system. It's amazing. <laughs> and, um, and and so when I realized that um, the table was getting really cluttered and that it was like, I just imagined like GMs having problems managing um everything that was going on simultaneously, I was looking for, uh, I was looking for a rule system that would streamline that out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's when I decided powered by the apocalypse would be a good choice because, um, you know, one you, with, you know, you have a moose sheet and a playbook and then I can put all my, I can put the rest of my hydro hacker stuff on the table, mm -hmm. you know, mechanisms, components or whatever. And um, the table gets, uh, far less cluttered. Plus, it also got rid of, um, and this was the thing about Fate, Fate's kind of super heroic. Mm -hmm. So uh, when we were playing, like people, you know, like smart Fate players, like bank aspects and invokes and things like that and start, you know, when the um, 
you know, when it gets critical, they like start pulling off these like 15 shift, like, you know, um, these 15 shift checks and stuff because they've kind of banked up all their good, you know, their goodies through the game. And um, I wanted Hydra hackers to be a little less heroic and a little more gritty. Yeah. And um, Powered by the Apocalypse was, de you know, definitely allowed me to tune, like how you write those moves lets you kind of tune how um, heroic or gritty something will wind up. It's it's funny because I I had never heard of, of I think well wait a minute if somebody had had brought up Apocalypse World at, at one of our game sessions and we'd mostly been doing D twenty and stuff um, and then they're like oh Apocalypse World I'm like oh that sounds interesting and I saw the system like well that's really it's a weird system um, it doesn't seem like there's much going on you're like I don't know like yeah yeah. And I played it a little bit, and I was like, "This seems this seems like there's something here." Um, I just was was having trouble wrapping my head around it. And someone who doesn't listen to podcasts recommended Misdirected Mark to me, and I was like, "I I I've been producing podcasts for five years now, um, so I'll always listen to at least one episode of any podcast somebody recommends to me." And uh, I listened and I've listened to like every episode since. So, um, but you guys talked about it so much. Um, and I just got into like what it was. Next thing I knew I was like downloading these hacks for everything. <laughs> um, and, but it's, it's such a, there's, there's a, there's a, an elegance to building something with that. Like you can really get to what the point of that is. Um, and it's, it's interesting that that's kind of, I see a lot of people going to that, um, because they want to have something that's, that's simple and, and, and built that way. It's, de it's deceptively harder to design than it, than it looks like. I, I, I think that, I think the good, I think the best thing that ever happened to the powered by the apocalypse community is um, that everyone thought it would be easy to make Powered by the Apocalypse games, so people just ran out and did it, um, as opposed to the truth of the matter, which is like, it's way, it's like, so there's a real difference designing between Fate and um, Powered by the Apocalypse. With Fate, uh, you have a, you basically have a, um, a kit of components, yeah. and your uh, design is basically how creatively can you assemble these components uh, to make something that is still incredibly fate, but do the thing that you want it to do. And in Powered by the Apocalypse, you have like an approach. Mm -hmm. Like we do moves, we do, you know, we, we do moves, playbooks or whatever. But there are no components. Like you you right. you build everything, um, you build everything from scratch. Okay. And um, so there's no like, you know, I need this kind of move. Now, I will say when I when I did Hydra Hackers, like I put like, I took down my collection of um, Powered by the Apocalypse books and laid them out on my desk and, you know, went through like moves from like 20 different games and like found, you know, some common ones. And then you still wind up having to create your own moves from them. But like you wind up saying like, OK, well, I need a move that's about social manipulation. Mm -hmm. Here's four. Here's four different games that have moves about social manipulation. Which one do I think looks like my game? And then how would I change it? Well, and, and I think too, that the, um, from, from that framework too, though, like, like the idea of the moves is 
you know, what is the narrative that we, that I want to push mm-hmm. forward as part of that? So yeah. I've got all these, these different moves that I'm, that I'm, you know, uh, using as, is to influence this. And I'm creating this new move specifically, like every move has a specific point to it. Mm-hmm. It's not like, go fight that thing. I'm going to roll the hit, you know, it's right. defy danger, you know, or whatever it might be. Um, and I think that that's, um, uh, I had a point to this question when I began it, but, uh, I think I, I lost it midway through. Um, I, but I think that like, that's, that's what fascinated me about it, powered by, by the apocalypse. What was your first powered by apocalypse game that you played? So the first time I ever played, um, and I, I had no idea, um, the first time I ever played, I was, I actually played a 10 minute demo of Apocalypse World with Vincent Baker at Gen Con. Whoa. And what happened was, um, when I, I was, I, I was writing for Gnome Stew. I mean, I still write for Gnome Stew, but I was, I was writing more actively for Gnome Stew. And every year at Gen Con, I would, before Gen, before Gen Con came up, I would write an article and I would let uh, readers pick something for me to go review mm-hmm. at Gen Con. Like you pick it, I'll go get it, and then I'll go review it. And uh, a whole bunch of people had said like, you know, oh, you should get Apocalypse World. So I was like, <laughs> all right. I don't know. Like I kind of looked it up and I was like, all right, you know, I like Vincent Baker, Dogs in the Vineyard. So sure, I'll get this game. Um, and he was at the, um, like he was at his own booth at Gen Con. And so I, you know, went to get a copy of the book and said like, I was going to review it. And he's like, well, you know, he's like, you want to just, you know, play out a scene or two? And I was like, okay, <laughs> like, cool, let's let's do that. So um, I was this uh, gun lugger who was um, uh, tied to a chair in the bottom of this, um, oh, I'm trying to remember, like a water tank or something. And was like, they were they were coming in to interrogate me. And I would like had to like get out. Like that, that was our scene. And um, it was great. Um, but I didn't play anything after that until dungeon world came out okay um and dungeon world was like my true actual gateway uh into pbta like i got to do um i had a friend of mine before chris who ran uh dungeon world campaign and loved it and then shortly after that chris arrived and um we were actually playing numenera and a guy couldn't make it to the session little did we know he couldn't make it to a whole bunch of sessions but um at the time but chris was like you know i'll run some dungeon world in between and uh when we got to the table he's like all right so um you're in this place called foot outside the airy peaks and uh that was it like that was the beginning of chris's airy peaks campaign (laughs) um and uh i mean that from that point on i was hooked like i then i was like i will like i just started buying um powered by the apocalypse games and then trying to run you know, as many as I could, you know, jam into a schedule. Yeah. That's, I, I feel like that's, uh, <laughs> I feel like that's, that's typical of like, you know, when, th- when that game comes up that you're like, oh, this is the game I need to play from now on. Mm-hmm. Um, although that being said, there's a term that I've learned from you that I use a lot. Um, and I don't know if you originally coined it, but, um, but I do credit you with it. Um, uh, Polygamerous, which. No, I, so I can't take full credit. Polygamerous. Um, I, I can actually tell you the history of this because it came out of the chat room one night. Okay. Um, I used to say, um, 
that I was system promiscuous. Okay. That like I would just like I played all sorts of games. Like unlike um, you know, people who'd like been playing like their, you know, AD and D campaign since 1982. Like I've I'm system promiscuous. Mm -hmm. And I believe it was a combination. I think it was Sean Gilgore and Senda who came up with Polygamerous. And then Senda went and drew the um the drawing that's on the t-shirt with the D20 and the fate die. Okay. Yeah. That's it is, it is a definite misdirected mark. Um, it was born out of misdirected mark, polygamous. And it's what well, that's that's amazing to me too. I actually, um, so one of the things that I definitely wanted to talk to you about as well. I know I'm a little bit all over the place, but there's a lot. Um, hey, uh, that, that's me to a T. So you're good. <laughs> like, this is my wheelhouse. Um, but uh, I wanted to talk to you about how you got started with the misdirected mark because you're such a, a, a I mean, the three of you are like, you know, to, to me, like the three of you on that show are like, that's the start of the community. Now that you're, I don't know, it's like the three of you and Senda, who else? I know there's probably a fourth. Uh, I feel like I mean, that's Rob, the fourth table. Like Rob Ebrazado, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, Rob was a Rob's a big uh, community guy, right? Does a lot. I mean, he 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 does the same thing in the Gauntlet too. Like he's a like he's amazing at connecting people, right? You know, even like the Mad Wizard, like everybody who's mm -hmm. who's part of it. Um, but like, how, where did you come into this? Yeah, it's um. So what happened was I was um. I was writing, I was doing Gnome Stew and I had written Never Unprepared uh, at the, I like, just finished writing Never Unprepared and it just had released. And um, and Chris had figured out that uh, I was from Buffalo and pinged um, Martin Ralia, who was at the time the uh, Gnome in Chief at Gnome Stew. Martin passed me along the email and was like, hey, you know, this, uh, this guy's also in Buffalo, you know, he wants to interview you for, uh, you know, for a podcast. And I was like, yeah, sure. That's great. And, um, and so I agreed to meet, uh, Chris, um, uh, Chris's girlfriend at the time, Jen was going to school at, uh, Buffs at Buff State. So, um, I met them on campus cause I work at Buff State. So I met them on campus and, um, uh, like, uh, so before I, I did, cause I, I don't, I like to be prepared. I went and downloaded a few episodes of Misdirected Mark. I was like, well, let me hear what this, uh, let me hear what the show's about. Mm -hmm. um, and it was good. It was Chris and Mark. And uh, Chris was saying like all the things, like he was saying all the things that I would say. And he was talking about games like that I really wanted to play. Mark is very much a um, a and d guy. Mm -hmm. And um, Chris is like talking about dogs in the vineyard and, you know, the fate Kickstarter. Cause that's like back when it was first, like when fate first kicked and, um, and so I did, I, I was, um, I think it's like episode like eight or nine, like you'd have to like go way the hell back in the archives, but there's an interview. Um, Chris and I do an interview together and then we started uh, gaming together. And then um, from there, uh, Mark had a baby. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was listening to the show, I was a big fan of the show and I'd been on once or twice since then. And um Mark was like doing the show like with the baby <laughs> and, <laughs> and it wasn't it, Mark was tired 
he was tired and he wanted to sleep and uh um and so i like i chris reached out to me and i was like you know i'm like if you need a new co-host man like i'll do it like that'd be awesome like i would love to love to do a podcast i i, I was on i was a dj in college and so i was used to um broadcasting and uh i was like yeah man i'll i'll you know i'll get in front of a mic and uh and that was it like that was the beginning and then uh we brought bob on uh we brought bob on because it was two things we we got to a point where we needed a community well, we wanted a community right we wanted a community of people and uh, we realized the only way to do that was to actually um actually go out and build one like go and put a you know like go build a thing in g plus and invite people to it and we started doing that and the live show came about because we screwed up a show one night <laughs> chris and i were it was still it was still back when it was just chris and i and we recorded a show and there was a problem with the zoom and the zoom never recorded all the audio it's funny because i can't even remember when we did shows that weren't live but we used to just go down in my basement and like knock a show out and then like hang out mm -hmm. and we did this whole episode and the zoom just ate it like i don't remember what was wrong either we didn't push the button or it corrupted the file or something and chris and i looked at each other and we were like man like i don't want to record that again like so i think we re-ran a past episode that week but chris was like you know if we also recorded live to hangouts then it'll go on YouTube. And if anything ever goes wrong, I can pull the YouTube audio. And I was like, nah, all right, whatever. Let's, you know, it sounds good. And on a whim, we were like, why don't we just tell people we're going to do this thing live? <laughs> and, and then like people showed up to it and we were like, oh my God, like, like actual people like came and listened to us do the show. And then it started to grow from there. And that's when um, we were having so much problems trying to do the show and manage the chat room that we were like bob you know bob was bob was a trooper because he'd always been hanging out with us and he's in our game group and he's like uh, he's like i'm in the chat room <laughs> and we're like okay like you're on the show buddy like let's do it that's, so, that's fantastic and the rest as they say is... rest is like a 160 episodes of history <laughs> and now the other show that you do uh pandas talking games with senda mm -hmm um yep. is it's it's funny because if i were to describe both of those shows like misdirected mark and pandas talking games to somebody i would say yeah they're game they're they're shows about uh gaming advice but that's just the elevator pitch for both of them they're very very different shows how did that come about uh so I met I met Senda at a um, I met Senda at a gaming convention, mm -hmm. and uh, and we hit it off and we got along like immediately like we were just you know we hung out together we were the two indie nerds at this like Savage Worlds convention so <laughs> uh, we had like all of that in common, and then we and so you know Senda had her own show uh, when I met her so you know she was already doing she's a super geek. Yeah. So I was, you know, she's like, I have a podcast. I'm like, I have a podcast. So like we traded podcasts, like we started listening to each other's shows. And um, honestly, honestly, it got to a point where I was like, you know, it'd be cool if we could hang out and chat about game stuff and make a show from that. Like we should like 
like it, it just came up one day because I think that's what podcasters wind up doing is like when they're sitting around, they're just like any the, the excuse to spend more time with like friends is like, let's make a show. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's 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 like the what is it like the 80s equivalent of making a band, right? Like, <laughs> you know, like yes. like you, you had like in the 80s, like everybody was like, you know, and like I, you know, I played guitar and stuff like that poorly. But, you know, like everybody makes a band. But, you know, nowadays everybody makes a podcast. And it was it was um the we knew we wanted to make a podcast we had no idea what to make it about and all we knew was that like i was a dude and older mm-hmm. and senda was a woman and younger mm-hmm. and we immediately rejected the idea of doing anything on gender we were like you know what <laughs> like like doing a show about like dude gaming and girl gaming like there's no gender like it's gaming like it doesn't right like so we were like nope don't do that um we tried to float some ideas about the age difference and we were like "Mm, that's not really going anywhere and like as we kept trying to figure out like what are the other differences between the two of us gaming uh it it came down to that senda runs tons of one shots and i pretty much just run campaigns because i run like all my stuff at home Mm -hmm. and then like we were like oh that's a thing we could build a show on like that's the thing we could talk about is the difference of gaming topics and how they play out over those two um over those two different styles of play and then we were like okay let's pilot this like let's see what happens like let's record an episode and um and that was back so that's when chris would offer in those days chris would offer to edit your show initially (laughs) <laughs> and then, you know, he sticks you with it afterwards. But he initially is like, I'll edit your show. And so he edited in the outtakes okay. um, into the end of the show. And that was, um, I mean, if there really is like something that is key to pandas, it's, it, there's GMing advice for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but there are the outtakes. The outtakes. Uh, yeah. They would, you know, started to get more and more known for it. It's, I mean, we don't write them, but like, you know they happen like i mean that's what happens when you do a show though that's that's planned in any way is you're gonna end up with stuff that's on the cutting room floor and yeah. uh yeah um i one of my favorite things about that is that that's that's senda doing the bloop noise right the yeah the bloop. yeah mm-hmm somewhere in the early episodes when we were talking <laughs> about it we're like oh we need a sound for that like and we were just, like, we were literally on the mics talking about it. And like, Senda's like, like what? And I'm like, I don't know, like some like beep or something. She's like, bloop. And I'm like, yeah, that, like that will, that'll work. And so she did, she just, you know, she was editing the show and she's like, I'll just cut my own sound, my own bloop sound in. <laughs> that's so great. Um, and that's, I mean, like those two shows as a foundation of, of what you've built, like that's such a, you know, and you know, you now you've got uh, what else is on the network? Down with D and D, Down with D and D, Advantage to Insight. Uh, she's a super geek. Um, Zhang Hu Hustle, oh, yeah. the Lounge, the Lounge, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Cipher Speak. Uh, I mean, that was all. That, I mean, that was all, Chris. Like, yeah. I, um, I mean, I podcast because I like to hang out with my friends. That's sure. really my. Use, right like tuesday nights are an awesome night for me like tuesday nights are my 
I, I leave work and I basically hang out all evening with Chris, with Chris and Bob mm -hmm. and then everyone else online. Like it's, um, it's great. And Monday nights I record with Senda and that's always a blast because that's the two of us, you know, nerding out and being like, you know, being dorks. Um, so, but Chris was, um, Chris was very much into the idea of, of going from podcast to network of podcasts mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, some of the shows, some of the shows we came up with, like Down with D&D &D was a thing Chris came up with, with Sean. Um, and, and basically it was like, Sean, I want to record stuff with you, which means we're going to record stuff about D&D &D and, you know, let's go. Um, some shows fell into our laps, like um, Cypher Speak. Um, we got the, we got hints that Darcy and Troy were starting Cypher Speak because Darcy had um, talked to Send and I um about setting up a podcast and stuff and then i like immediately told chris i'm like you need to go talk to darcy like mm -hmm. that's a, that's a show that should be on our network and um jean who hustle was basically a response to the terrible martial arts episode that chris and i did like that was <laughs> it, yes it was the reactionary <laughs> podcast yeah it, i mean it, but it was so good when they did it. It was like, it, it, they not only, they not only just objected, but they like did such good work in their objection that it was like, oh, this, this needs to be a show, man. Like, this is, this is like some, this is top shelf stuff. This is like smart. And I mean, it's, if there's something that I can say about the, you know, the network, it's that um, the shows on the network are very smart. Mm -hmm. um, everybody on all of the, all of the hosts of the network are really super sharp people talking about games and in really sharp ways. And so the first, the first episode of Zhang Hu Hustle I heard, I was, I'd like texted Chris when I got into work and I was like, holy shit, Chris. I'm like, I'm like, that show's amazing. Like those guys are, I mean, those guys are brilliant. Like, I'm like, they're going to make more of those, right? <laughs> like, Chris convinced them to make more of those. So, um, yeah. And Saskeek was one that, um, Saskeek was one that was just an inevitability. Like it was like, well, like, yeah, you're like, you're on another network, but <laughs> you know, like, don't you want to like, come on over with all of, you know, all your friends, like come join the network. Well, it's, yeah. it's, it's such a, uh, uh, it's such a curious. And then I guess ultimately I'm, I'm complimenting Chris in this, but it is a, such a well curated network just overall. I, I'm I'm really happy that I mean there have been other ideas and there have been other pitches to us that we we didn't take mm -hmm. and um, Chris and Senda have done a um, Chris and Senda have done a really good job. They have a very very specific vision of what should be on the network mm -hmm. um, and what kind of niches we should fill. Right. And, uh, and 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 have like I think you know like Hobbs like Hobbs was a thing where Chris was very much. Um, very much on a thing where he was like, we need an OSR show. Yeah. Like, like we need, like, that's an area we don't have um, too much depth into. It would be great if we had an OSR show and he like hunted down Hobbs and I think, I think he still edits Hobbs stuff. Like that's the deal. Like, that's how Chris lures you in is like, he's like, he tells people like, don't worry, I'll edit you um, for a while. <laughs> and then you, <laughs> And then you're on your own. Yeah. Then you're on your own. Like, yeah, it's the training wheels program. So like Chris gets you, Chris gets you up and running and then you're on your, like you're on your own. Luckily for me, when that time came for Saskeek, Senda was already a um, brilliant editor from doing SAS from doing Saskeek. 
I'm sorry, when for pandas. Yeah. Um, when the time came for pandas, Send had already been editing SaskGeek for a while, so she, you know, t jumped right in and took over the editing on that. It's, I mean, it's funny because uh, I was I was lured in by by editing. I was I was uh, doing the editing, or I am doing the editing, mm -hmm. and uh, and then it was like, you know. You know, what, what, Chris was like, what stuff do you like? And I don't know. I love interviewing. That's one of my favorite things to do is interview people. And he's like, would you want to do the lounge? I'm like, yeah. So it took a little while, but then here we are every other week. I love it. I, the lounge was a, um, so depending on how far back people have listened to Misdirected Mark, because um, you have to kind of go deep for these, um, there used to be this fictional house. The house oh, of yeah. misdirected, right? Like Chris makes reference to it every now in the show, but if you're a relatively new listener, it, it's it's not so um, it's not so apparent. But there was this fictional house with all these rooms, and and the shows would get named after the rooms, and so the segments of some of the shows, and that's um, the lounge is a house is a room in the house misdirected. Mm -hmm. um, so is the um, so is the workshop. Yep. Um, the so garage. is the garage. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so they all came like they were all born from um, names of the house. So yeah, I Chris would use the lounge as his occasional uh, interview show. So I was actually really excited when I heard you were picking it up because I was like, oh, like the lounge is great. Like, yeah. um, but I also know Chris's workload. So I was like, <laughs> you know, it was like, well, Chris, you can't record all these. Like, you have other, you know, you have like a hundred other things you need to do. So, <laughs> and, and here I am loving doing, I mean, you know, it, it was one of those things where I, I lost my job a couple of years ago and oh, late, a little over a year ago, it seems like longer, weird. Um, that was why I decided to design a, a role-playing game, which was the reason that I went with the system I went with was because of Hobbs and friends of the OSR. Mm -hmm. I decided to go with an OSR game and I ended up using black hack. Um, but then like. When I lost that job, I thought, well, what do I enjoy doing more than anything else? And it's it's interviewing people. I, I it's it's the thing I love to do. So I'm I'm glad to be a part of the network and and all that fun stuff and you know uh, this whole thing. And I, and and I love the uh, the idea. That was one of the things I said right away. Is I'm going to interview all the misdirected people too. Like yeah, that group's large now. Like it's very large. Yeah, it. I mean, I can like I my memories of the show is when it was like a handful of us, but like there's a lot of people now, and then like then especially when you get to like the gnome cast, like because they rotate in and out, the gnome stew authors. Mm -hmm. Like I mean, Ange is the, you know, the touchstone for that, but like, you know, it's there's just a lot of people. Um, there are a lot of voices, which is kind of awesome. Like a lot of different voices on the network now. It's it's great to see things too, like John Arcadian's TED Talk, and mm -hmm. which I, I everybody should go listen to, um, uh, you know, and like like see the reach that that you guys are getting, uh, or that I guess we are getting. I keep, huh? Oh, it's oh. Did anyone ever show you the Venn diagram of how uh, Gnome Stew and Coda Designs and Misdirected Mark all like? overlap each other i've been told of the venn diagram i have not seen it yet <laughs> yeah, there's um it, there's a real there's a like a really interconnected um uh, web of people that um, participate across all three of those um environments like 
because John and I were originally founding members of Gnome Stew, and then when Martin um, decided to retire, John picked up Gnome, you know, as Gnome in Chief, and um, you know, I started Encoded, and Chris had Misdirected Mark, and John and Chris are partners in Misdirected Mark, and you know, the Gnome cast is on Misdirected Mark. Like it's just like it's all one just woven together um thing but we were sitting around about it one day talking about it like wow like we have a lot of stuff like yeah we have a publishing company be it small but we have a a, a small published company that's growing we have one of the largest um rpg blogs out there mm-hmm. and we have a like a pretty large you know not one shot large but we have a pretty large network of uh of shows like it's like it's we've you know we've certainly come from you know like it wasn't always like this yeah well and that's the thing like when you talk about gaming networks yeah you're okay fine you've got your one shot network but like there's not and other networks are eluding me i know that they're out there but i feel like uh, rpg rpg academy oh um, yeah 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 they're out there but uh, but it, 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 it's amazing what you guys have built. It's it's um, it's impressive. It's it's uh, it's 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 well, now inspiring. say we because we it's amazing what we've built. I know um, there's yeah. an imposter syndrome again. Um, I mean, you're doing a good job as being the objective interviewer, but, you know, you are also <laughs> you are also, also inside the machine. That um, was funny. That was one of the things I was worried about interviewing you guys from the network you folks from the network um that uh by the way that's a that's a uh a, a, a change that i've made well, i've made a lot of linguistic changes based on that's a chris that's a chris one folks yeah folks yeah um but like as far as like you know how do i reference myself and everything and uh and i think that that's it's the fact that I can be a part of this is just a huge honor. So, um, which Chris will get lots of thanks when he does his episode <laughs> eventually. Um, now, so you've released Whirlwind when millionaire. Yep. Um, here I am going back to business. Um, but, uh, you've released Whirlwind millionaire. You are working currently on hydro hackers. Do you have an idea of release for that? So the uh, it's funny you say that because that's actually what I was doing all day today, was planning that out. So we are going to release an ash can for mm-hmm. Hydra Hackers, which won't be the full game, but right. there's enough of the game um, that I'm comfortable with that we've talked about it for so long. It's like, well, it's time to put something out there for people to actually play and and to get some experiences with, and um, it's looking, and I haven't completely finalized this plan but it's looking that um i think now that you say that i'm gonna peek but i think it's going to be an august september uh release so it will go to um it will go out uh on drive through uh because that is um it'll be available on pdf but I, i'm gonna do it for pdf i'm going to do it print on demand off of drive through so if people want the book we're projecting the book to be about 90 pages okay um It'll contain um, the six core playbooks. It'll contain all the basic moves and uh, the rules for the neighborhood. And that'll be enough. Like you won't be able to do the cool heisty 
um, hydro hack mechanic because that thing's a beast. Like it's a whole mini game inside the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'll be able to, you know, tell stories and steal water and fight the authority and stuff. And no, oh, it's even earlier than yeah, early August is what we're hoping for for the PDF release. That's amazing. Yeah, it's um, I'm excited. Um, I've you know I've play tested it so often. I've taken it to so many places, but um. I'm I'm excited to put uh, you know a taste of it out there mm-hmm. uh, for for people to try and so we'll do the ash can and then I'm actually going to switch gears for a couple months and uh, Send and I have been working on another game called Turning Point mm-hmm. and um, that game's not very big like that okay. game is going to probably be only ninety or hundred pages in length um, and so we're going to turn around and work on that uh, and get that manuscript done. And then I'll go back to working on the full the full scale Hydro Hackers uh, game. So, because uh, I really want to get Turning Point out there. Turning Point's um, as my I, and I love Hydro Hackers, uh, but I'm really really the play tests from from Turning Point. So I'm, I'm really I'm excited. Like I want to get it finished and written and and start um, sharing it, like getting it out to Kickstarter and stuff what's what's that about so turning point is a um it's a dramatic collaborative decision making engine okay and so what it is is that um the group of people you play like the group plays one character uh and this character is facing a life-changing decision uh and the decisions are kind of set up like um they're set up like fiasco play sets okay uh so you you have different um, different life changing decisions and as a group you determine like you pick which which dilemma they're called which dilemma you're gonna face uh, and like for instance like the um, there's a dilemma called uh, I want a new drug mm-hmm. and um, the premise of it is is that you have a uh, chronic medical condition that uh, that you live with but you know there are things you can like can and can't do in your life and uh, on the TV you see announced a new drug that um could um could take care of your uh, medical condition but there's like there's some known side effects that are not trivial and there's a chance that um if you take it it will make everything much much worse Mm. but only like one percent right like one percent of people you know it you know doesn't cure it it makes it like 10 times worse or kills you or whatever and uh, you have to make this decision are you going to take this drug and so what you do is as a group, you make up this character and the dilemma guides you through how to kind of set up um, the story for that particular dilemma. So you figure out what your illness is, what the cure is, what the side effects are. And then you um, you play out a, a you play out a group of scenes that are based on uh, different points in the person's life. And, and the idea is that when we make a life changing decision, we often fall back on. Um, we often fall back on past experiences about our lives and uh, things that aren't, they may not be exactly the problem that we're facing, but the themes are the same. And so, uh, for instance, uh, the idea of um, in, I'm just going to do this one off the top of my head, in I Want a New Drug, there's a scene that's like um, where you explore whether you are comfortable um, or uncomfortable after seeing somebody who somebody who has a chronic illness. Mm-hmm. And so you wind up playing out a scene, like you make up the scene and um, 
you play it out and there's a whole mechanism for how you play it out uh, and how you decide which um, emotion you gravitated towards, whether you were comfortable and comfortable being like, well, um, you know, these things happen to people and, you know, you make the best of it kind of thing or uncomfortable where like, I, I like that could never happen to me. Like if that happened to me, I, you know, like I, you know, I, I wouldn't know what to do, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And you play the scene out and the group kind of votes, not kind of the group votes on which one it is, um, which emotion you gravitated towards. And um, that, and in conjunction with these things called heartstrings, which are these tokens that people pick up during play um, as they're having like a connection to the scene, um, those get all factored together and they get put on a sheet. And at the end of the five scenes, um, the first player, the player who's collecting all the information then turns around and tells you what decision your character makes. Hmm. And uh, it, it may not be the decision that you think because um, you may like, cause you may like, you may have gravitated towards one set of um, one set of emotions um, but you maybe in one scene you had like a really powerful scene and put a whole bunch of heartstrings on, on the opposite emotion. And um, so it's a little, there's an unpredictability. Like you can't, um, you don't really know where it's going to wind up. Uh, and then, yeah, that's what you do is you figure out, will they, um, will they take this drug or won't they? Or will they take this dream job and give up their stable, well-paying job? Or, uh, and we have a bunch of different uh, different dilemmas planned, but I think we have like four or five of them out right now for play testing. That sounds amazing! Holy, wow! That's I'm really I'm really proud of it. Like it's um it's actually exceeded um it's exceeded what Send and I thought it would be able to do. Um, the stories that people come up with when they play it are just like they're um they're not all gut wrenching, but they're all deep. Like. Yeah. They're deep stories, hard decisions, like hard life decisions. That sounds fantastic. I've heard you guys talk about it, and I don't know. Like, um, I may have missed the episode where you. Where you so I'm, I'm hearing that description. I'm just like, you know, oh, the hearts. Now that might make sense. Like hearing the terms that I've heard, the heartstrings and mm -hmm. the the other things. Um, that's that sounds unbelievable i mean this you have the advantage of coming out and playing it like i'll i'll run it for you like you I'll, can come out with <laughs> that is a thing that that i will 100 percent do uh yeah absolutely i'm i'm very much looking forward to making that that trip to buffalo um uh it's it, i just live an hour away uh for mm -hmm. listeners who don't know um so um so i can you know i'm looking forward to making that trip uh, more often this summer um i um I, I Phil, the stuff you're doing is so diverse as far as like, like the, the, the type of content and everything. Um, is there anything like, is there any one project where you're like, this is the, this is the, the unicorn project. Like this, is there anything that you want to work on that you're not working on right now? I find it doubtful. I find, I think maybe this is a dumb question. 
I, I mean, if there was a thing, like if, if I could, if I could have anything, right. Like yeah. if, if somebody was like, you know, Hey, you can go develop this. Um, I would develop like the next version of the game underground, the old uh... um, Mayfair. My, my love for that game is so strong that, um, I would in a heartbeat and I, I, I Ray Winninger is actually working on another version right now. And I've, um, I've chatted with him for a bit and I've seen some of his early drafts, um, that that would be my my dream job, but I I, I would say that um, I don't know I the way I wind up designing stuff is I kind of like um, I don't know I fall into like I fall into ideas I think this happens to a lot of designers I fall into ideas and then something sticks and then I have to go ask a bunch of people because I'm like I don't know does that really sound like a thing like every now and then like I would have to ask like Chris or send up like is this hydro hackers thing a thing like am i crazy like is this like an actual like is this a playable game like not even rules wise but like premise wise like is this is this something anyone else is going to be interested in, or is this just like some weird you know like weird little thing that i've uh come up with um i think i i guess the one that i'm i'm probably i have a lot of hopes for is that i think that um I think that there's a lot in turning point that um, I think there's a lot in turning point that will come out in play. The ability to um, have to make these hard decisions, mm -hmm. like decisions that people like some, some of these decisions are things people never have had to um, have had to make um, before. And the ability to basically have empathy for, you know, living through um you know, living through playing the game and making that, you know, making that decision. Um, and just, you know, I've had people who've play tested it come up and tell me like, um, there have been a couple of teachers and social workers and stuff saying like, you know, this game, you know, like this game could easily be like a tool um, for having people kind of experience like different life situations. And mm -hmm. that's way more than I thought <laughs> when, when Sen and I were coming up with what turning point was going to be, that was way more than either one of us had ever thought was, um, you know, was in the scope of the game. Like we just wanted to make a, like a cool, you know, we wanted to make an, we wanted to make a story game about tough life decisions. Mm -hmm. And um, it's starting to like, it, it's really, I'm super proud of it. Yeah. Like, I guess is the best way to put it. Like once we played it, like the first couple, like we played the first couple of times and we both looked at each other like, holy shit. Like it's <laughs> like, it did everything we wanted. Nothing exploded. And all the work we've been doing on it is just trying to make a smoother experience for people so that like the scenes go um, smoother, but we haven't really made any, um, like we haven't made any drastic changes to the core of the game as much as like, as we've played it and we watched people um, fumble their way through like the opening scenes, like, okay, well, how do we, how do we, how do we structure the game so that people don't have to fumble through that part? Like, what can we do to smooth this? And, um, recently we've been spending a lot of send has been spending more time on it than I have, but um, a lot of time on safety. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, this, this game has the potential for, you know, um, you know, bringing up a lot of feelings and bleed and things like that. And so we've been, you know, we've been working on how do we make the game even a safer mm -hmm. experience for people? Cause we want people to play it and, you know, we have different levels of intensity, so you can, you, not every one of them is, um, completely gut-wrenching but there are some gut-wrenching ones in the um you know in 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 the in the list um some of them are a little lighter uh so we're trying to you know how do we come at it each way like 
from multiple ways. How do we make it safer? How do we make content that is playable by um, more people while at the same time being able to play um, the super heavy stuff? Yeah, yeah. Finding that, like walking that line. Um, it's funny that safety isn't a thing I even thought about in in, uh, in gaming until until I started listening to Misdirected Mark and it's it's such a, a key component of of everything I do in gaming now. Um, and I, I mean, I suspect you and I I suspect you and I are pretty close um, in terms of gaming history and stuff like age and things like that. Like I wasn't a I mean I wasn't a safety guy for eons like. I mean, not that it was like, hey, you're going to get lumped up at the table kind of thing, but more like we just didn't talk about it. Like sometimes you get pissed off during a game. Like, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was like. And, and and that was, I feel like that was, a, you know, if you got pissed off at the game or if you got upset about something or, you know, it was just like, oh, it's just a thing you do. And now it's like, if I'm running a game. You know, I want to make sure that those those elements are available to people, mm-hmm. um, and and having that conversation can be tougher than not having that. Or you know, like like sometimes that. Sorry, I I didn't mean it that way. Uh, having that conversation can be tougher than you would imagine it would be to have that conversation with people. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's you know, like just uh i mean i'm I'm used to it with my home group like I, I don't think twice about it like my home group i just put an x card on the table and like it's like it's fine we're probably you know doubtful we're gonna need it but just in case it's there kind of thing um and when i'm running like games like when i run hydro hackers like i always make sure that i do a quick safety check but i always tell people like you know hey we're gonna play a thing about you know saving this co-op that lost its water so um I don't expect we're going to have any topics of domestic violence, child violence. Like mm-hmm. we're going to have this talk real quick, but you know, my guess is it's probably not going to show up tonight. Sure. Um, but for, for turning point, um, we didn't even want that to be optional. So like when you actually put the dilemma out on the table, after you read the intro, um, there is a section called the safety check. Mm-hmm. Um that just te- like you just read it like you don't have to come up with your own words for how to have the conversation like you just read it and it walks you through and says like hey for tonight's game like here are some things you should be you know concerned about like or you might want to you know have a discussion about um you know here's some topics that might be potentially like in the um in the new drug one uh it says like look um is death a thing you guys want to talk about in this game like mm-hmm. you know is this, you know, is the side effect or the condition the person have life threatening? Because um, that, you know, might not be comfortable for some people. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I think that's the, it's okay to say, like, no, I don't want to talk about people dying in this game. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, we, we made it deliberate. Like, it's deliberate and it's baked right into the, like, right into the rules of the game. I think the important lesson for safety that I've I've found is that having it there means um, that you can push things a little bit more mm-hmm. than you might normally. Um, and like I've I've used it for every convention game I've run in the last couple of years, and um, my home group has not implemented it yet, and it's there's been some hesitance there. But at the same time, you know, I have kind of said, like, during my games, hey, if anybody has a problem with this, 
just give me a nod or let me know mm-hmm. and we'll just move past it. And it's like, so we haven't officially implemented anything, but it's there. I mean, I think, I mean, I think that, um, I think that, you know, I think people know their home groups. I think you don't have to have, sure. um, you don't always have to have safety. I, like I said, I will often put out the X card and it's my home group. So I don't even have the X card talk anymore. Right. Like I just throw it on the table. Yeah. I mean, I make sure it doesn't get covered by anything, but I put it on the table and just leave it. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. Um, when I play a con game, I am more explicit about it, right? I, I will ask everybody, like, we're all familiar with the X card. I can, you know, if not, I'm happy to read the back of it, um, you know, and just kind of say what it is. Um, yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, you know, came from, I came from the age where, like, you know, I had adversarial GMs who dicked with us at the table. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, it was a thing that happened. Like, some days you got pissed, you, like, picked up your books and stormed out of the house and, like, went home annoyed. And, um to be honest, I think some of my considerations about safety is like, look, I'm in my mid forties. Like I only want a game to have a good time now. Right. Like I don't like, I, and by good time that can still be like heavy emotional topics, but like, I'm only here to have a good time now. I'm not here to fight with anyone. I'm not here to get backstabbed and pissed off because somebody's, you know, playing chaotic, stupid. What, like, I just, all I want to do is have a good time. Yeah. Like it, I have a I have a real life for all that other stress like that's so well it's the kind of thing where like you know we we talked early on about the Marvel movies like I love the Marvel movies I know I'm going to cry in Infinity War that's coming out very shortly actually the day after this is released I know I'm going to cry but that's okay because yeah something sad is going to happen you know, I'm trying not to think about it. Like I'm trying not, I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I know how the original comic went. Mm-hmm. I also know how they undid everything in the original comic, but like MCU's a, you know, MCU's not the same beast. So it's a different animal, it's a different yeah. animal. I'm, uh, I'm anxious. I'll be anxious when I get to the theater. Like, you know, I, 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 and I've, I've done a good job avoiding all spoilers. I've good, done a good job avoiding, um, the second half of the trailers. Okay. Um, I like watched the first one or two trailers and I was like, I don't need to see any more of these. Like <laughs> I, I'm already sold. Same thing with the Deadpool trailer. Like I don't need to see any more Deadpool trailers. Like I'm totally going, you already have my money. Like <laughs> there's no reason. There's no reason to watch any more of the movie at this point until I get to watch the whole movie. But I think as an analogy, it's like, you know, well, those are the fun movies, but yeah, there's some emotional moments in it, mm-hmm. but that's okay. Um, meanwhile, you know, you've got an adversarial GM doing things like, I don't know, X3 or uh, Suicide Squad or, right. yeah. Yeah. So, there's I didn't a... ask for this. Amazing. Well, listen, this has been a lot of fun. We also, we did go long. So I just wanted to make sure you you were aware. That is that... literally my brand, man. That is literally <laughs> my brand. Um, but that's that's you know I, I I was sitting there going I always try to go in about this much and then and then I was like oh but turning point so uh, so I'm glad we talked about that because now I'm really excited to play that. Um, is there is there anything you want to pitch or uh, uh, plug um, at the end of this? Uh, yeah, I mean I'll. 
I'll I'll plug real quick. Uh, Whirlwind Millionaire is uh, up on Drive Through Cards. So um, if you've never played a solo RPG, um, you play it alone. But um, it's fun. It doesn't take very long to play. It um, only costs um, five ninety five for the printed cards. You can get the print and play for even cheaper. Um, but I recommend the cards. Drive Through Cards makes um, Drive Through Cards makes some really good cards, and the cards look really good. Like they're they're really cool looking, and um, it's. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it's a fun little experience. It's it's replayable, or you know, like gift it to a friend. Like after you've done playing it, hand it to them and let them find out and uh, see. Like you know, that winning the millionaires, w- winning the lottery is not everything it's cracked up to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it could be. It could be pretty intense. I was the 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 one time I I definitely want to play it again and kind of again and again. Um, but uh, the one time I played it, I ended up with a well being of one. Oh, like. <laughs> by the, the end of the second round of it or the oh. act. And, uh, I was like, Oh, this is, this is not good. I'm going to, I'm going to have a really bad time. Um, so yeah, I think I ended with wealth of two and well being of one. So wow, uh, I had <laughs> a lot of disastrous. bad roles. Yeah. Um, some disastrous times. Oh yeah. Um, but it was true to form roles for me. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get my lucky dice and see how I do next time. Yeah, uh, yeah. Come on, it's a high roller. But yeah, everybody should check out Whirlwind Millionaire. Um, check out on, of course, the Misdirected Mark. Um, and on Pandas, Talking Pandas, Games. Talking Games, yep. Um, Those are my jams. And uh, fantastic. Phil, thanks for stopping by the lounge. Oh, thanks for thanks for having me. Of course. you. Uh, I, I say this to every guest. Um, I think this might be my closing line, but you can feel free to come by anytime because I'd love to have you. Uh, if you ever are like, you know what? I just want to chat about something we could have, we could do in a whole hour talking about safety probably because I'm fascinated by that topic. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, but yeah, thanks for coming by and, uh, we'll see you next time. Hey, thanks, Phil, for coming by the lounge and talking Whirlwind Millionaire. Of course, you can check out Phil on the Misdirected Mark podcast and Pandas Talking Games. The Misdirected Mark Network has a whole bunch of shows, including this one, the Wednesday Evening Podcast All-Stars. Brett, Tom, Kevin, Chris, and Emily get together to play games that get edited down to an audio drama for your ear holes. Join this crew of all-star players as they create stories from the games you love. The music you're nodding to right now is And So It Begins by Artificial Music, used under Creative Commons 3.0. Thanks for stopping by, kicking back, relaxing with me, Doc. I'll see you next time on The Lounge. <laughs>